As someone who is so excited to garden this spring, yet really wants top quality soil, I'm really excited to introduce you to Coast of Maine, which is an esteemed brand renowned for its organic soil offerings. And if you're seeking to infuse your home environment with a nourishing essence that promotes flourishing plant life, you're going to want to listen to this because with over 28 years of expertise, Coast of Maine has meticulously crafted soils sourced from oceanic waters and farms certified for organic cultivation. It's so nice to find such a sustainable sustainable, eco-friendly brand who really emphasizes the importance of natural ingredients to enrich their soil. And I mean, they have, like I said, top quality with rigorous quality control and OMRI listed certification. Their diverse range of products caters to all gardening needs. Most of our soils may lack appropriate nutrients for success for our plants and our plants need this. We want to regenerate the healthy microbes in our soils to set up for gardening success and just for our plants to thrive. So if we add Coast of Maine products, this will indeed help. Whether you're planting trees or shrubs or perennials in your yard, adding Coast of Maine soil in your planting holes leads to a long, slow feeding of your plants, making them self-sufficient and vibrant, which we love. Let's say you want a vegetable garden. Not only will you receive abundant harvest, but there will be less feeding and maintenance throughout the season. Amazing. You know that everything grown in Coast of Maine soil is organic and safe for your family and friends right out of the garden. And then you get to also feel good about their sourcing as I'm so thankful they provide natural ingredients because they will never include household waste or biosolids. And we know that nothing nurtures the world above better than the soil below cultivated from products and practices rooted in coast of Maine. And so they will continually perfect the art and science of sourcing, mixing, and composting products worthy of the people and the place that inspired their brand and the healthier world it was built to serve. Coast of Maine believes in nurturing relationships with local retailers. We love supporting local and the products are carried by local retail partners who can provide advice and insight not found in big box stores. So Coast of Maine knows from beginner to expert. Anyone who takes a hand to the land has something to offer the growing community of gardeners everywhere. And their products make organic gardening simple and approachable so we can all garden. So let's get to growing. Visit coastofmaine.com to find a local retailer near you. That's Coast of Maine, like the state with an E, coastofmaine.com. I'm all about that fuss-free glam. Give me makeup that's versatile and feels like air on my skin and has ingredients that love my face, that's good for my face. You know, clean ingredients. And don't even get me started on mascaras because I do want them bold and lengthening. <laughs> and so we have Thrive Cosmetics, which I've been using since 2020, obviously because I appreciate their foolproof products that make it really easy to apply for any skill level. And they have a full line of makeup to refresh your everyday look, but also they give back. Every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, hence why it's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E, Medics. Thrive Cosmetics and Bigger Than Beauty skincare are not just makeup brands, they're a whole vibe. They're all about empowering us to rock our confidence, and when you support them, we are helping other communities thrive. Their stuff is not only easy to use, but 
no nasties, zero parabens, sulfites, phthalates. They are 100% vegan and cruelty-free. Let's talk lashes. Thanks to Thrive's liquid lash extensions, I must say that my lashes are just so beautiful and lush. It adds lengths. There are no clumps. And also, guess what? It slides right off with warm water. So no raccoon eyes here. And I appreciate they have nourishing ingredients that support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. And it's a unique formula they use that creates these tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. We've had problems in the past with the link, but the link does work now. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com magic. That's Thrive Cosmetics. C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash magic for 10% off your first order. Hello, magical friends. I'm Ali Michelle. And I'm Raquel Mantra. And welcome to Your Own Magic Podcast. Our intention is to connect you with the most inspiring thought leaders and visionaries and share some of our experiences and wisdom to help you unleash your own magic. Yes, we're so grateful you're spending this present moment with us today. Maybe I'm not on my path. Maybe I'm on a path somebody placed me on and I'm just rolling down. So, I, you know, at that point, I just, not only did I not know what I wanted to do, I had no idea how all these people who I looked up to, how they did it. You know, how did Bill Gates, when he was just another, you know, college kid, sell software out of his dorm room when nobody knew his name? Or how did Steven Spielberg, when he was rejected from film school, go on to become the youngest studio director in Hollywood history? Now let the magic begin. Hello, Soul Tribe. I have a treat for you today. We are interviewing Alex Banian, and he is the keynote speaker and author of The Third Door, a book that reveals wisdom and tips on overcoming challenges from some of the world's most successful people like Bill Gates, Tim Ferriss, Jessica Alba, Steven Spielberg. I could go on and on. I saw him at a show in LA where he talked about hacking the prices right when he was only 18 <laughs> through sheer determination. He's inspired and changed the mindsets of many people through his speeches at places like Harvard, Apple, Nike, and many more. Alex is truly such a light, and I'm honored to have him on the show today. Hello, Alex. That means so much. Thank you. <laughs> of course. It's all the things that you are and so much more than that, and I'm so happy to have you here. Congratulations on your new book. Thank you very much, and it is an honor to be talking with you. This is going to be really fun. It is. I can feel it, especially <laughs> so familiar with speaking. And you are one of the most hilarious people I've ever seen, by the way. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm happy some people think it's funny because sometimes my friends just roll their eyes at me. You know, but that's what friends are for. I feel like they can <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I was excited to see that your book's coming out in a month. And I'm curious how this journey came about for you. Like what inspired you to chase after the world's most successful people and write this? Yeah. And by the way, I hope it's a month. It's less at this point now. It's crazy. Oh, that's right. It's June 5th, June right? 5th. Exactly. Good memory. Nicely done. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> See, the, so the book comes out June 5th and it's you know surreal to even say that because it's been this seven-year journey. 
And the whole reason it started was seven years ago, I was 18 years old, a freshman in college, and I was sort of going through this life crisis. And to understand why I'm going through this life crisis, you have to understand that I'm the son of Jewish immigrants, which pretty much means I came out of the womb, my mom cradled me in her arms, and then stamped MD on my ass and sent me on my way. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you think it's funny, but in third grade, I wore scrubs to school for Halloween and thought I was cool. You know, that was my childhood growing up. And, you know, I went to pre-med summer camp. And by the time I got to college, I'm the pre-med of pre-meds. But really quickly, I found myself hitting snooze five or six times each morning, you know, having trouble dragging myself to class. And I would spend every day lying on my bed, staring up at the ceiling, going through this, what do I want to do with my life crisis? And the reason it was so shocking is because being a doctor had been my identity my whole life. And I don't know if you or anyone else can relate to sort of having this identity and then for the first time questioning it. It's really scary. Yeah, it rips the ground out from under you. Yeah, and there's all of a sudden you had, you know, the floor under your feet, and then all of a sudden that floor is gone, that ground is gone. And going through the what do I want to do with my life crisis, you know, it's that thing that you think about you know, every night before you go to bed, it's what you think about in the shower. And it's, at least for me, it was this all-consuming question. And, you know, I started to realize, you know, maybe I'm not on my path. Maybe I'm on a path somebody placed me on and I'm just rolling down. So, I, you know, at that point, I just, not only did I not know what I wanted to do, I had no idea how all these people who I looked up to, how they did it. You know, how did Bill Gates, when he was just another, you know, college kid sell software out of his dorm room when nobody knew his name? Or how did Steven Spielberg, when he was rejected from film school, go on to become the youngest studio director in Hollywood history? These are the things they don't really teach you in school. So I just assumed there had to be a book with the answers. So I, you know, I go into the library, I'm ripping through books, I'm, you know, self-help books and business books and biographies. And I was just dying to know when all of these people were starting out, not really at a particular age, but really a particular stage in life, when nobody would take their calls, nobody would take their meetings, how do they find a way to break through and launch their careers? But eventually, I was left empty-handed. And that's when my naive 18-year-old thinking kicked in. And I thought, well, if no one's going to write the book I'm dreaming of reading, why not write it myself? You know, I thought it'd be super simple. I would just call up Bill Gates, interview him, interview everyone else. I should be done in a few months. That I had assumed would be the easy part. The hard part I figured was getting money to fund the journey. You know, flying to these people would cost money, you know, money I didn't have. I was buried in student loan debt. I was all out of bar mitzvah cash. So there had to be a way to make some quick money. So... Two nights before final exams, I was in the library doing what everyone does in the library right before finals. I was on Facebook. (laughs) And I'm on Facebook, and I see someone posting about free tickets to The Price is Right. You know, it's the longest-running game show in U.S. history. And the show was filming the next day. 
and it was not too far from where I went to school. And my first thought was, what if, what if I go on the show and win some money to fund this dream? You know, not my brightest moment, but I had a problem. You know, I had finals in two days. Plus, I had never seen a full episode of the show before. You know, I'd seen it when I was homesick from school as a little kid, but I'd never seen a full episode of the show. But how hard could it be? But, you know, it was a dumb idea. I, you know, I told myself to forget it and go back to studying. But it was almost as if the idea kept clawing itself back into my mind. So to prove to myself that it was a bad idea, I remember taking out my spiral notebook and writing the best and worst case scenarios. You know, I wrote it on the top and drew a line down the middle. You know, worst case scenarios. Fail finals. Get kicked out of pre-med. Lose financial aid. Mom hates me. No, mom stops talking to me. You know, look fat on TV. There were like 20 cons. (laughs) And the only pro was maybe, maybe win enough money to fund this dream. And it was almost as if somebody had tied a rope around my gut and was pulling in a direction. So that night, I decided to do the logical thing and pull an all-nighter to study. But I didn't study for finals. I studied how to hack the prices right. (laughs) (laughs) And I went on the show the next day and executed this ridiculous strategy, and I ended up winning the whole showcase showdown, winning a sailboat, selling the sailboat, and that's how I funded the book. I don't think anyone else in the world has that story. (laughs) (laughs) That is amazing. So you hacked the entire show. Yeah. Well, the hacking was, you know, less Einstein and more Forrest Gump, but it was still a pretty, pretty wild experience. Still, it takes so much bravery. It's like your con list probably was as long as one of those Chinese scrolls. that like. (laughs) (laughs) That's really funny. Wow, but you felt that tug in your gut. Had you felt that before in your life or was that the first time? Mm. That is such a – I've never thought about that. And, wow, what a good question. I've never thought about that and the answer is so surprising to me. I don't think I had ever felt that before. Wow. And that- yeah, the reason that's so interesting – to me, that's cool just because it's like giving me this new level of self-awareness. The fact that that was the first time I had ever felt that makes me, in hindsight, see that that was the start of me being on my path. When you're feeling those pulls in a direction, that's when you're actually doing what you're meant to do. But at the time... I just thought I was procrastinating finals. You know? <laughs> at, the, at the time, I was like, oh, God, I hope my mom doesn't find out. <laughs> but you risked it all. Like I, I find that as a common theme with successful people is there's mm. that kind of one moment that has that thundering in your rib cage and you followed it and you had to kind of risk a lot in order to follow your dream. Um, you posted this really interesting quote on your Instagram because I was stalking you, obviously. <laughs> 
Um, like when you change what you believe is possible, you change what becomes possible. Mm. So, do you believe that any dream, no matter how big or how far away it may seem, can become a reality? Mm. I do. At the same time, there are, you know, dreams that are more achievable than others. Um, what I do know for sure is that, and there's, you know, a very famous quote that says something along the lines of, if you believe you can do it, or if you believe you can't do it, either way, you're right. And what I've learned through this journey of this book is that, you know, the book really started out when I was 18. The original idea was I was just going to go interview all these people, you know, get their advice. Each chapter would be on a different person, you know, chapter one, Bill Gates, chapter two, you know, Warren Buffett and, you know, have it in their own words. But what happened was I had this editor in New York. This is a few years into the journey. And he calls me into his office. This is about a year into me having a publishing deal. He calls me into his office and he's a very gruff New York guy, you know, corner <laughs> office, you know, big publisher. And he goes, Alex, what's the point of your book? Are you trying to inform people or change their lives? And I'm like, well, that's a pretty leading question. I, <laughs> I hope I can, you know, change lives. And he goes, well, the book you're writing isn't going to do that. And I'm like, what? What the hell? Like we've been we've been working together for a year. How come you haven't said anything? He's like, oh, you wouldn't have listened. So, <laughs> so he goes on to tell me that, you know, even the greatest magazine Q and A's don't really change anyone's life. They might be interesting, but they don't really change anyone's life. But if you look at all the pieces of literature that do change lives, it doesn't matter if you're thinking about the Odyssey or Harry Potter. It's all the same story. It's a, a character, a relatable person in the beginning who's going through a struggle that everyone can relate to. Something happens to that person that sends them off on this journey where they learn lessons and they get beat up and they get, you know, they overcome these challenges. And as that person learns this these lessons and evolves, so does the reader. And I'm looking at my editor and I'm like, what, what's your point? Like, who should be our main character? Should it be Bill Gates? Should it be Spielberg? And he's like, no, you idiot. It's, it's you. <laughs> and the reason it took me so long to figure that out, and it took me a few months to – it wasn't like he said that and I just said, okay. It took a few months to really grapple with that because the whole reason I started this journey was because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know anything truthfully. I was just there to learn and gather the information. So the thought of putting myself – into a into the story didn't make any sense, but he taught me that it's not about me. I'm a conduit for the reader. So when I'm sitting in Bill Gates's office with my palms sweating and you know Bill talking 100 miles an hour and me not being able to understand what he's saying, so is the reader. You know, when Jessica Alba is talking about death and cancer and using fears to start her business, the reader is sitting right next to her. And the whole reason why that's so powerful is because, and this is exactly what your question was asking in the sense of, I learned that you can give people 
the best knowledge and tools in the world, but their life can still feel stuck. But if you change what someone believes is possible, their lives will never be the same. And that is really the soul of this book. Hello, Soul Tribe. Raquel here, interrupting just for a moment. I hope that you don't mind that I interrupt this episode with Alex. Isn't he fascinating, by the way? Oh, I love everything that he has explored. And I hope that you are taking notes. I certainly am. And I hope that you've taken advantage of the $60 worth of free groceries Thrive Market has gifted the Your Own Magic listeners when you go to thrivemarket.com forward slash your own magic. So I have actually been going to the grocery stores here in London. And though it's fun to explore new foreign selections, I do miss sitting down and ordering all of my favorite groceries and beauty essentials from Thrive Market at a discounted price. It's really expensive here, (laughs) even their online stores. So if you are in the States, then check out Thrive's abundant selection of organic groceries that are up to 50% less than what you can get at that health market that is down the street from you. And guess what? Thrive will deliver it straight to your door. Win-win. So if you sign up at thrivemarket.com forward slash your own magic, you'll receive $60 worth of free organic groceries, home goods, beauty goods, and even pet supplies of your choice, plus free shipping and a free 30-day trial. So just go to thrivemarket.com forward slash your own magic. Now enjoy the rest of the show. Wow, I hope that everyone just took notes on that and has like a nice bumper sticker on their fridge. They can see Because <laughs> um, it's so important. It's like you're challenging people to raise the limits of what they think is possible for themselves. And it's really inspiring. Um, mm. I'd love to hear more about your journey of tracking these people down and how you dealt with like if fear or self-doubt ever cre- crept in like Oh my God, every day, about five minutes ago too. (laughs) (laughs) Man, being human is hard sometimes, right? (laughs) You know what? It is. And what I've learned, especially this past year, so my dad passed away about 12 months ago. Oh, I'm sorry. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's been really hard. And you're right, being human is really hard. The biggest thing that I've learned this past year is that you can either, you know, come to peace that it's hard and you can sort of sit in that hardness in that pain and breathe it in, breathe it out, or you can pretend life isn't hard and cover it up with, you know, you know, food addiction, alcohol addiction, or like all the other things that I was, you know, or just pretending it doesn't exist and your sadness doesn't exist. And there would be moments when I would try to avoid the hardness of life and pretend, you know, everything's okay. But I didn't want to harden myself to life. Wow. I think that's alchemy right there. I mean, you kept your heart open and 
one of the hardest things a person can go through. I mean, losing your parents, like yeah. the things and the fact that you stayed in your body and like felt and breathed your way through it. I just want to honor you for that. Cause it's not easy to do. I appreciate that. Have you ever read the book when things fall apart by Pema Chodron? Okay. This has been recommended. To okay. Me. I was about to say you will <laughs> love this book. Okay. I it's so good that, you know, during the year my dad was when my dad had gotten cancer, I started reading it and I f- literally freaked out. I never read something so powerful and I bought copies for my mom and my dad and my sisters, and my yeah, I even bought one for my grandma because it's pretty much a book on how to you know, we all suffering is a very normal part of the human condition. And what the book is about is Breathing in that suffering, let it, letting it pierce your heart open as opposed to try to run away from the suffering and close your heart. Wow. I am going to order one right after this interview. Oh that my was God. Amazing. It's so good. Uh, if there's anything I can say in life, it's true to read that book. It's so good. It's so important too now because we have all of these different ways of instant gratification and numbing and escaping. And it's like, I mean, you can get lost in just your phone for a whole day, but to learn how to really sit with all the waves that life throws at you, I mean, that's powerful. Um, Is there something that helped you in those times of self-doubt or just where you were kind of uncertain of your path? Like what helped you find your way home to your There were so many moments, you know, the past seven years on this journey where I was, you know, 99% sure that it was a lost cause, where I was so defeated, so depleted, all out of options. You know, I'm on, I'm on plan Z, essentially to the point where I was thrown to the ground in the fetal position with tears coming down my face. And two things in hindsight, I can see helped me the most. The first thing, actually three things. The first thing is the most important, which is when you have nothing left and you are full of doubt, you know, when, when doubt is an understatement, when you are almost certain that it's not going to work out anymore and that it's a lost cause and you should give up now. The only thing you have to hold on to is the reason why you started in the first place. And it's so easy, at least for me, it's so easy for me when I'm on the journey of doing to forget, you know, get so caught up in the doing that I forget why it, I even started in the first place. And for me personally, I just had this belief that if all these people come together, not for press, not to promote anything, but really just to share their best wisdom with the next generation, young people can do so much more. So I don't know if you remember the movie Castaway, but sometimes it would feel like I was on a desert island and that belief was like my Wilson, my volleyball that I would talk to because mm-hmm. it's all I had. Um, but it's really all you need to survive those darkest, darkest times. 
You don't survive comfortably, but you do survive by holding on to that. The second thing is having friends who I think of it like bowling. You can either play bowling you know, with bumpers or with no bumpers. Now, some people want to be big shots and play with no bumpers, but you know, I'm an amateur and I like to play with bumpers. <laughs> it makes it easy. And to me, in life, especially when you're pursuing a dream, the bumpers are the friends you turn to in the hard times. If you have friends, because there there have been moments, and it's you know it's weird to admit it that I went to my friends and I was like, man, I don't think this is gonna work. And my friends, oh my god, I don't know what would have happened if they said this, but they could have been like, you know what, man, I was thinking the same thing. God, if even one of them said that, I could have been, I could have, this book might not have existed. The fact that I had the kind of friends who looked at me and almost like shook me. They're like, dude, you will make this happen. It's just so powerful. And the third thing, and look, by the way, on that note, something that I've learned is that the advice isn't necessarily like, you know, I definitely do agree, you you know, to not have negative friends or negative people in your life or pessimistic people. But also like sometimes you can't help it. Sometimes someone's in a friend group with different people or you know, sometimes you have a coworker you have to work with. But just because those people are in your circle doesn't mean they're the ones you turn to in the hard times. You just need to be extremely thoughtful about who you turn to. The third thing is the most important in my opinion or the most powerful. When I've been full of anxiety and full of doubt, and full, you know, just beaten by rejection and failure. There's all these business books and self-help people on, you know, Instagram stories and YouTube, like yelling at you to like, never give up, never take a day off, don't sleep, keep hustling. Uh, you know, take a fucking nap. That's my advice. You know, have some fucking ice cream. You know, turn off your phone and go... You know, go hang out with your friend. You know, I think there's, and it's like so like counterintuitive to like all the business advice out there about like pursuing a dream. People are like, never give up. Don't watch any TV. Uh, I don't know. Like, have you watched Curb Your Enthusiasm? It's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Like, maybe you should go watch them, House of Cards. I don't know. God, I love that advice because it's so human um and it just acknowledges everything that we all go through you know having those right. hold you accountable to your potential and like taking a day off I agree is so important because sometimes you just need a break from yourself yes exactly and look if you're watching tv every day and you're not working congratulations you don't even have a dream or a job but <laughs> you know if you're working your hardest and you're depleted and exhausted you know taking a day off might be the key to helping you keep going. Wow. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I love that you talked about knowing your why too. Um, Mm -hmm. That's so powerful. So powerful because everything starts with an intention and then it builds on that. So um, I feel like some people get overwhelmed when they don't know, but it's just a matter of like slowing down, like talking your heart, finding what's important to it. Yeah. 
Um, out of all the people that you chased down and interviewed over this seven-year period, uh, what was the one person or piece of advice that most deeply impacted you? Hmm. Hmm. When I went to interview Quincy Jones, I walked in, you know, I before every interview, it's I do a ton of research. I already knew he was you know, nominated for more Grammy awards than any music producer in history. I knew he had produced Thriller, the best-selling album of all time with Michael Jackson. He had produced We Are the World, the best-selling single of all time. I knew that he's, you know, been nominated for Oscars and Emmys and he discovered and launched the careers of Oprah Winfrey and Will Smith. You know, I, I knew that. But within you know one minute of being in his presence, I realized I didn't understand 10% of who Quincy Jones is. Because he walks in sort of like the alchemist. Like he walks in with this like long robe with like gold trim, like sweeping down the floor. He has this like deep booming voice that lands on your ears with the like the notes of a baritone sax. It's like, where are you from, my man? Like it's just so smooth. Like I can't even do it, you know? I liked your attempt. <laughs> and what happened is I met Quincy Jones and I interviewed him towards the end of my journey. And, you know, over the course of my journey, there were, it was just full of, sometimes I would feel like my journey would be a long string of mistakes with like right before I met Quincy Jones, for example, I had a meeting, an interview, like a meeting set up with Mark Zuckerberg, and of course I was freaking out. I was so excited, and because of a you know idiotic tactical error I made, the whole meeting fell apart because the security at the event thought I was an imposter, and they threatened to call the police. It was like it all. It was just a disaster, and I would just beat myself up over these mistakes. And this would happen over and over and over again to the point where when I was with Quincy Jones, he was telling me about you know, his early days in music and he was telling me this story about how when he was younger, a music executive who was affiliated with the mafia like you know, coerced Quincy and you know, forced him into this deal and stole his rights and as Quincy was saying it, I just like blurted out, I'm like that's fucked up. And we both looked at each other, like both of us surprised that sort of like came out of my mouth. And I think Quincy understood what was happening. And he put a hand on my shoulder. And, you know, in hindsight, I know why I, I had blurted that out. Because I was in so much pain thinking about, you know, in my mind, all the failures and mistakes I had made on my journey. That when I heard about, you know, Quincy getting taken advantage of and Quincy's mistakes, it like triggered all of the suppressed emotion inside of me. And Quincy puts a hand on my shoulder and goes, it's all right, man. That's how you learn. And it was as if I was an overinflated tire and Quincy Jones had just released a valve and all the excess pressure was rushing out. And he can see the look on my face. So he just, you know, keeps explaining to me how the key 
to growth and the key to success is not to avoid mistakes because that's impossible. But when you avoid your mistakes, it becomes, you know, suppressed anger or baggage and that leads to failure. But if you cherish your mistakes, if you not only acknowledge them, but really cherish them, only then do you learn and only then do you grow. And he like looked me in the eyes and was like, your mistakes are your greatest gift. And that completely changed the way I saw my journey. Wow. Did this happen early on when you were writing it? This happened. Quincy was one of the last people who I interviewed, which I think is why it was so fitting because he helped me see my journey in a new way. I, I hated my mistakes and he helped me realize that they're what taught me the most. That's absolutely incredible and so important for people to hear. I mean, even just knowing that this book almost didn't come out and then (laughs) now it's almost here and, and these mistakes kind of sculpted, it sounds like who you are and the gift that you're offering to the world. And so I think that's so important for people to know it's not to get discouraged with their dream, but to just kind of utilize these challenges. Thank you so, so much. Yeah, absolutely. I'm seriously, this is a lot of wisdom is in here. I'm taking mental notes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When do you feel like the most empowered, joyful version of yourself? Mm. When I'm with my best friends, when my phone is off, when I'm traveling on an adventure, that's when I feel like, oh, this is this is heaven on earth. Oh, in nature. Those are like my most, you know, blissful moments. Um, but also at the same time, there are moments on this journey of working on this book that I, I also feel just like so empowered. And, you know, obviously it feels really good when I, you know, have a goal and I reach it. You know, that, all, you know, of course feels great. But it's the most fulfilling moments are when I hear that someone, because people are starting to read the book now, when people who I don't even know say that it changed what they believe was possible and that it brought them to tears because it makes me feel like the past seven years was worth it. That's really incredible. Is there a person that you maybe thought it was never going to happen or like the person that you were most uncertain of and then you finally got this interview with them? Um, who is the one that you really looked up to? And oh my God. When I, when I got the yes from Bill Gates, I have like this picture on my phone, which – like I hope no, nobody sees because it's so embarrassing of me sobbing in my car from happiness. And I like took a picture just so I like never forget what I looked like because I 
like my eye, uh, my eyes never look like that my entire life. They look like big round tomatoes because they're so puffy from all the tears. And I'm, because I had spent two years as my, it was my biggest, biggest dream and goal in my life at that point. Because I had this very naive idea when I was 18 that if anybody held the secret to success, it had to be Bill Gates. So it really was my life mission at that point in my life. Oh my God. So when I got that yes, it was, I I don't know if I've ever been more exuberant in my life. And what was the interview like? Oh, wow. The interview. So what Bill taught me and what the interview was like are two completely different answers. <laughs> Let's take both of them. We've got time. Okay. So... I'll sort of weave them together. So, you know, you get to the office and you walk in to, you know, glistening floor to ceiling windows, you know, light, you know, heavenly white light is shining in your eyes. You, you know, you look around, the pillows are the most plush pillows you've ever seen. The spoons sparkle like spoons you've never seen before. The conference room table looked like it was carved by Michelangelo. Like it is the most beautiful office I've ever seen. And you know, if there was a movie and God had an office, this is what it would look like. And you know, I'm shown, I'm, I'm taken into the office and I'm shown down this hallway that's lined with hundreds and hundreds of books. And an assistant like pulls one out of the shelf and I start flipping through it. And I see like scribbles in the margins and I find out like these are all Bill's personal books that he's like taken notes in. So, you know, we put the books back. I get taken to the end of the hallway and the assistant goes inside Bill's office and asks me to stay in the hallway for a couple minutes. So I remember standing there alone, looking up at this towering frosted glass door. And I could almost, I almost wanted to touch it to feel how thick it was. It felt like this drawbridge. And, you know, slowly the door opens and I hear, you know, Alex, Bill is ready for you. And the doors open and, you know, right there in front of me, you know, hair uncombed, shirt loosely tucked in, sipping a, Danic, a, a, sipping a can of Diet Coke is, is Bill Gates. And it was so funny. And this is, it's not in the book because it's like a little awkward, but I, you know, I waited two years for this. So I... I don't know why, but in my head, I just assume like, you know, he's Bill Gates. He should speak first. So the door opens. I like step in and he's like on the other side of the room at his desk. You know, he stands up and he looks at me like waiting for me to say something. And I'm looking at him just like waiting for him to say something. No. And it's like, you know, in my head, I don't know how long it was in real life. Maybe it was only like five seconds, but in my head, it was like, you know, 10 minutes of me just like looking at him. And then finally he's like, uh, Hey there, come on in. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, that was, that was the start of that, of the interview. Wow. (laughs) That is quite the intro. Oh my God. I have, you know, part of me wants to like, see him at some other point in my life so I can just 
because the poor guy, he doesn't know any of that. He was so generous. He he had no idea I had spent two years of my life trying to learn from him. To him, he was just like, you know, on his schedule, it said, you know, interview 4 p.m. Um, and he was so generous and so kind. I love hearing that. It's kind of like we have these heroes and then you meet them in person and you're like, wait, you're just a person too. Right. Yeah. Um, There's a great quote from Maya Angelou. Um, and I don't even think she, this isn't even her quote, but she would just repeat it all the time. She would say, no one can be more human and no one can be less human than you. She is one of my favorite poets. That is gold right there. Ah, oh, she is the best. You interviewed her too, right? I did. It was such an honor. Wow. And you want to know yeah. the craziest thing? What? Almost exactly yeah. a year after we spoke, like I think 364 days after, like almost exactly to the year, was the day she passed away. So it was really, it was, um, it was sort of crazy because I remember, you know, seeing the news that she had passed and I was like, first of all, my heart was broken. And then second of all, I was like, wait a minute. I looked at the calendar. I'm like, I think today's the exact one year of when we were, when we spoke and sure enough it was. And I remember that day just, I couldn't go to work that day. I was just so heartbroken that she had passed. I just ended up going to a park and just sitting by myself, like crying. I know this is weird because it's not like we were friends or anything, but she was a huge influence in my life, on my life. And I would just keep listening to the audio recording of our interview, like over and over again, almost as if like her voice was giving me some solace. Yeah, I think that's not weird at all. It's like when someone touches your heart, they become a part of you. And you got to sit in her presence. And it's so synchronistic that that's almost exactly a year. So wild. Yeah. It's the range of people that you've interviewed. They're so successful in many different ways. And I noticed our society defines success from a financial or fame perspective so much. But what does it mean for you personally to be successful? Hmm. You know, my definition of success completely changed when I had inter- when I interviewed Steve Wozniak, the co-founder of Apple. You know, I didn't even know it at the time, but I grew up with a, you know, pretty western definition of success like subliminally in my mind of you know, it's how wealthy you are or how high of a position you have or you know, things like that. And something that I've learned about culture is that the most powerful messages are the ones that are never explicitly said. And, you know, our society's definition of success is something that's very implicit in our culture. So I'm going to do this interview with Steve Wozniak. I couldn't be more excited. I fly to Cupertino, you know, where Apple headquarters is and I'm at this restaurant two blocks from Apple headquarters where Wozniak had told me to meet him. And I always get there early before my interviews. So, you know, I'm there like 15 minutes early. I'm standing outside the restaurant and my phone rings and it's one of my best friends. His name is Ryan. And, 
you know, I'm, I'm telling Ryan about how excited I am about this interview. And he's like, dude, seriously? Waz peaked like 20 years ago. And he like goes on to say he's like, you know, Ryan's like a big numbers guy. And he goes, man, like, look, I, I get that you're having trouble getting interviews, but, you know, Waz is not Steve Jobs. You know, Waz isn't even on the Forbes list. Like, yeah, what he did was great, but that was in the, you know, 80s. And then before I could really respond to him, Ryan goes, you know what? Maybe, maybe it's good you're interviewing Waz. Try to find out why he was never as successful as Steve Jobs. And again, before I could respond, I see Wozniak walking towards me. So I, I say bye to my friend. I hang up. I greet Wozniak and we go into the restaurant. And, you know, the second we sit down, it's just abundantly clear that this is one of the happiest people I've ever met in my life. He's, you know, ordering all this food and he's telling me about his dogs and his wife and his cars and his road trips to Lake Tahoe. And he's just so happy. And he's telling me about how when him and Steve Jobs first met, you know, they met a couple miles away from where we were sitting and how they bonded not over technology, but they really bonded over pranks because they're both huge pranksters. So Wozniak is telling me about one prank after another and I'm just cracking up. You know, I'm just having the best time. And, you know, about an hour into the interview, the question Ryan had asked me, you know, popped into my mind. So I asked Wozniak what it was like starting Apple in the early days with Steve Jobs. And Wozniak told me a bunch of different stories. But the ones that stood out most were the ones that showed me their value system. So the first story that Wozniak told me took place before Apple even started. Steve Jobs was working for Atari, the video game company, and his boss told him to, you know, code a video game. And Steve Jobs goes to his, you know, his best friend Wozniak and goes, look, you're a way better coder than I am. You love video games. So how about if you code the video game, I'll give you half of the $750 they're going to pay me. And Wozniak's like, wow, that's amazing. That's such a fair deal. Thank you. You know, Wozniak codes the game. Jobs turns it in, gets paid, and gives Wozniak half of the $750. About 20 years later... Somehow the, in the news, a story broke that Steve Jobs wasn't paid $750, but instead he was paid several thousands of dollars. And that's, you know, that's one story. And then another story Wozniak told me took place, you know, in the early days of Apple. You know, as they were growing as a company, it became abundantly clear that Steve Jobs was going to be the CEO. But it wasn't clear where on the executive team Steve Wozniak would be. So when Jobs asked him what he wanted, Wozniak thought about it and he said, you know, when I was a kid, I decided that my definition of success is that I want to create something using engineering that changes the world and I want to have fun doing it. And he goes, look, being an executive 
doesn't let me do either of those things. I would just spend all my time with, you know, corporate politics. So Steve, Steve Wozniak turned down the offer to be an executive, which is so fascinating because it goes against like everything our, you know, our society says you should do. And then the third story Wozniak told me, you know, the final one was, you know, it took place right around Apple's IPO. So Steve Jobs and Wozniak were set to make more money than they had ever imagined. But right around then, some of the earliest Apple employees went to Wozniak and told him that Jobs denied them any stock options. And Wozniak's like, that's impossible. You guys are like family. You helped start this company from scratch. Let me go talk to Jobs. So Woz goes and talks to Steve Jobs, and Steve Jobs essentially slams the door on him and says, you know, 0% chance. So Wozniak did the only thing he felt he could do. He gifted some of his personal shares to those early employees. And on the I, on the day of the IPO, those early employees all became millionaires. And as I was sitting at lunch at that restaurant, you know, Wozniak was leaning back in his chair, cracking open a fortune cookie and laughing and smiling. Again, my friend Ryan's question popped in my head. But the only thing I could think of is, who's to say Steve Jobs was more successful? Hello again, Yomis. It's Raquel with another short interruption to thank one of our most beloved and life-shaping sponsors, Hum Nutrition, who has been with Euro Magic and the Soul Tribe since day one. And I can't express my appreciation enough to every single one of you who has rated and reviewed the podcast. We are now on the sixth round of the amazing Hum giveaway, gifting Hum products all around the globe. So not only to those in the United States, also to those in the UK, where I am, Denmark, Australia, wherever you're sitting on Mama Earth, you should definitely consider gifting yourself and your body the many natural vitamins and minerals Hum offers. I am personally in love with their products. And as a lot of you know, I was dealing with a severe belly issue that I brought from Bali and I heard about Hum, so I took their gut instinct and their Flatter Me tablets to get things running a little more smoothly. And Hum did the trick. So Hum helps you turn your beauty inside out with their pure and potent GMO-free, sustainably sourced products, and many of them vegan. Love that. Also, you need to try their mint chocolate chip infusion and ginger snap raw beauty superfood powders in your blended drinks. Delicious. And Hum is continuing to offer three more of our listeners three months of $150 worth of Hum products for free. Just rate and review our podcast and send a screenshot to info at yourownmagic.life. And then in the meantime, try Hum out as they gift the Soul Tribe 20% off their purchases at humnutrition.com using the promo code MAGIC. That's humnutrition.com, promo code MAGIC. Now on with the rest of this magical episode. Wow, that is 
One of my favorite stories that you shared, actually, is so interesting because it sounds like he had that sort of lighthearted yeah. that you see with a lot of enlightened masters. Um, they have that joy in their eyes, you know, whereas I don't know Steve Jobs personally, but I feel like nothing external ever makes up for the internal. And so it's good to hear that someone like that. Yeah. Happy inside in that way. Um, we have a lot of writers that listen into the show. Could you talk? Oh, I love that. Yeah. So they'll be really excited on this one. Um, but I'm sure they would love to hear about your creative process as a writer and the most important things that you've learned, like mm. really finding your voice. Wow. Well, if anyone out there is a writer and is going through it, I'll share with you one thing that Maya Angelou shared with me. And it's a quote by Nathaniel Hawthorne. And during my interview with Maya Angelou, she like specifically told me, she's like, write this on the top of your notepad. And I was like, okay, I promise. And she, she told me the following quote. She said, easy reading is damn hard writing. Easy reading is damn hard writing. And the reverse is just as true, which is easy writing is going to be probably damn hard reading. So if you're feeling that your writing process is excruciatingly hard, you're actually doing something right. If you're, if you're, you know, writing a book and you're like, wow, this is easy breezy. (laughs) If your writing process is easy breezy, your book is not going to be read in an easy breezy way. And so that's one thing my Angela taught me. Something that I learned on my own just from an experiment that, you know, changed my creative process that I would encourage people to try, you know, not necessarily do because everyone's different, but this is what worked for me. I, when I was starting to write, kept having all these issues with writer's block and getting distracted. You know, I'd be writing on my computer and, you know, focusing was really hard for me. And also my, my writing style was very like straightforward. There was, I was having trouble, you know, showing instead of telling. And, you know, there were various issues, but I was sort of desperate to, you know, shake things up a little and, you know, try some different options. And I had read in my research, because I was, you know, researching and interviewing all these people, I had read that, you know, Maya Angelou wrote all of her books using yellow legal pads. And I thought that was interesting. And then I read that Jerry Seinfeld, who's, you know, one of my heroes, I love him, he he writes and he wrote every episode of Seinfeld using yellow legal pads. Then I thought, you know, maybe that's just because that was a time before computers were easy. But then I read that Barack Obama, who's, you know, one of our most tech savvy leaders, writes his speeches on yellow legal pads. So I was like, huh, I wonder if that's just like a weird coincidence. And then to really top it off, there was this article I had read about Steven Spielberg, 
where he was talking about how this was right around when like digital film was becoming a big thing. And Spielberg was talking about at the time why he didn't like using digital film. And he said, look, I have nothing against the technology. The technology is great. But the whole point of making a movie isn't to do it in the most efficient way. It's about doing it in the most creative and, you know, new way. And Spielberg said that the reason he doesn't use digital film has nothing to do with the technology. It has to do with the fact that when he uses analog film and, you know, prints out the film, in the time it takes him to, you know, print out the film, hold it in his hands, walk to the other side of the room, put it in the editing bay, load it up, an idea comes to him that makes the movie better. And if it was digital and he could just, you know, click download, he wouldn't have had that moment. So because of all, and you know, there's a really funny Jerry Seinfeld bit where he's talking about, you know, writing on his yellow legal pad. And he's like, he goes, writing at a laptop is probably one of the most, um, you know, hostile environments ever created by human beings. You have to like sit up at this chair, you know, in this very awkward position. And there's a white light shining in your eye as if you're in a police investigation. <laughs> and there's a blank screen except for this little flicking cursor that's taunting you. Come on, big shot. Come on, big shot. Come on, big shot. You know, just taunting you. And he goes, who the hell is going to write something good, you know, in this hostile situation? <laughs> Whereas with the yellow legal pad, the great thing is you can, you know, if if you're angry at that yellow legal pad, you can rip its page off, crumble it and throw it at the wall. And like, you know, if you don't like something you write, you can cross it out and stab it with your pen. Like, you know, it is so easy to dominate that yellow legal pad. Whereas a computer, like, you're not going to hit your computer. So, you know, the computer owns you. Um, so I thought all of that was really interesting. So almost as an experiment to try to shake up my writer's block, I was like, all right, I'm going to spend the next month only writing my first drafts on yellow legal pads. And then, you know, I'd write it by hand and then I'll type it up on the computer and then print it out and edit the printouts. And that changed everything for me. And I think one of the – and again, Spielberg's advice was right. In the time it took me – first of all, writing on the yellow legal pad was a lot less intimidating. For some reason, it like lessened the pressure. And there's no distractions because if your phone's off and your computer's off, you have a yellow legal pad, the only distraction you could possibly do is doodle. But when you're at a computer at your phone – there's a million things you can do, even if you do turn off the internet. And it, the process of writing something on the yellow legal pad allowed me to enter a state of flow that I wasn't able to access on a computer. And then on top of that, the process of typing up what I had just written, I had an idea in that process. So sometimes I wouldn't even, you know, type up verbatim what I wrote on the yellow legal pad. I'd actually type up something even better than I'd written on the yellow legal pad. So these little things 
make a difference? I think that's so powerful because you have to have the patience to really go through that entire creative process, which is something that I think we all need more of nowadays. And you're also one of the best storytellers I've heard, by the way. I see why you're <laughs> Thank you so much. Huge speaker, but you really, um, the way that you circled it back just then to, to your own process and allowing an idea to come through, it's, it's true because when it's instant, um, we're just going from place to place. So I love that. Thank you. If you could go back in time and meet the 18-year-old you, you've just hacked the prices right, and you're about to set off on this long seven-year adventure of tracking down the world's most successful people, what advice would mm. you give to your younger self? It's going to be all right. Be kind to yourself. And the reason I would say that is because you know there would be moments – You know, there would be tons and tons of moments where I would be, you know, in my office on a Saturday night until two o'clock in the morning working. And those aren't really the moments that I am referring to because I love that stuff. Um, You know, just like how you hear all these stories of basketball players in the gym at four o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning shooting hoops. Not because they're, you know, workaholics, but because they just love it so much. So I'm not referring to those moments. What I am referring to is, you know, when things wouldn't work out, I would get so scared. My fear of failure and my fear of being a a disappointment, you know, had its hands around my neck and was cutting circulation to my brain. And instead of you know, taking a break and, you know, maybe going for a run or doing something to feel better about myself, I would, you know, push myself to the point of almost like um, as a punishment. And, you know, I didn't need to do that. I think it still would have worked just as fine and, you know, perhaps even better if I was you know, a little kinder to myself, I might've been able to think clearer. Um, But again, like Quincy Jones said, you know, your mistakes are your greatest gift. And if I didn't do that, then I might be doing it now. And thankfully now I can, I'm kinder to myself now than I was back then. So I'm grateful for the, for the journey teaching me that. I think that's one of the most important things that we all need is to just be a little kinder towards ourselves because the more love we give to ourselves and we act out less on other people and can lift them up and support them. So that's a really important one. Um, What would you say to someone that's kind of younger? Because your book is kind of the Holy Grail guide for young people. (laughs) Thank you so much. So for someone who's maybe feeling a little lost, maybe they're not sure what their dream is. um, How would you advise our listeners to create their own magic Maybe connect to that purpose. Mm. So I'll give I'll give a piece of advice that I used for myself and my friends started using too when we were all f- trying to figure out, you know, not only who we are, but you know, what we love to do and what we want to do. Cause it could be a very, you know, tricky situation. And the the truth is there's no single 
secret answer, but there is a, a method that makes things easier. And I like to call it the 30 day challenge and you can do it for more, but 30 days is a minimum, you know, go, go buy a journal, you know, a fresh journal. And it's very important that it's fresh because there's almost an intention of like, the only thing this journal will be used for is this challenge. You know, you're not writing your biology notes in there. So you take this journal and every day, and it should be the same time, either every morning or every night, like choose a time that you can really commit to where every day for the next 30 days, you're going to spend 30 minutes, you know, no less. You can do more, but at least 30 minutes every night or every day where you're going to write about the following three things. You have like three things to write about. Number one is what made me feel the most alive today. Number two is what sucked the energy out of me the most today. And number three is what did I learn about myself today? If you do that for 30 days, you will be a different person by the end of the 30 days. Where it would lead you, no one knows. That'll lead you, it will guide you more towards the path you're destined for. That is extremely unique advice, actually. I've never heard that before, but I assure you I will go straight to a store and buy a journal. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Those are powerful questions, and I think that questions are one of the most important things to do in life is just keep questioning ourselves and who we are and reaching those new levels of awareness because if you're aware, then you can change your life. And I just want to say thank you Mm -hmm. so, so much for putting seven years of your life and going through all those challenges and really moving through and facing things that most people never have to face and then giving it back to the world. Um, so I want to honor you for that. You're a modern day superhero and writer. And Oh, thank you. Um, so I appreciate you. And I know our listeners, our listeners do as well. Um, where can everyone find you on social media? So all my, you know, social handles, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, Twitter, they're all the same. It's just my name. At Alex Benayan. So it's A L E X B A N A Y A N. And the book website is really easy. It's thirddoorbook.com. So T H I R D, thirddoorbook.com. And yeah, I would love, you know, if anybody who's listening to this and hears about the book through the podcast, like definitely, you know, give me a shout on you know, Twitter or Instagram and let me know you heard this because I, I want to say hi. I love that. Tag us in your notes and your aha moments and make sure to pre-order Alex's book because obviously it's going to be really amazing and impact a lot of people. Thank you so, so, so Thank much. Thank you. We are so grateful you tuned into this podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and rate us on iTunes. Yes. And those of you who leave a rating and review, we want to share our gratitude by sending you a special gift. Just email info at yourownmagic.life and we will send you an exclusive meditation guided by the both of us. And make sure to say hi to us on Instagram. I'm at Ali Michelle L. Don't forget the random L at the end. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Raquel Mon. Thank you and have a magical day.